So we're going to start a uh, new kind of countdown to Christmas series. We're getting ready. We want to prepare our hearts and our minds. And so we, we, we use Advent as a season to prepare. Advent reminds us what the early, well, the pre-church thought about when they were anticipating the coming of a Savior. There was darkness, and they longed for a Savior. And so we try to symbolize that darkness again through the gradual lighting of the candles that reminds us we have a need for a Savior. And so we talk about the first coming of Jesus, the first Advent, the arrival, the baby Jesus. But as 20th century Christians, we use Advent as a time to remind us that Jesus comes back again. And we need a Savior. Our world needs a Savior, perhaps more than they did before. But we have that growing sense of longing that the celebration of Christmas becomes the the participatory story that we get to say Jesus comes back. And so as we're doing that, we're going to count down to, uh, to Christmas in a series called Fear Not. And the story of Christmas is just littered with angels showing up. When, when angels show up and they deal with people, it's always a memorable occasion. And in, in these stories, it's no different. When they arrive on the scene, they, uh, they understand that it's a really big deal that we're not ready for. And so that's why one of the first things that they say always seems to be, you know what it is? Yeah, it's a pretty good hint, right? Fear not. At least if you're reading the King James Version, that's what they'd say, fear not. So today I want to look at a story where an angel comes and speaks to a teenage girl named Mary and talk to you about the fear of what God has planned for us. So I don't know if there's anybody like this in your life. Maybe I've met someone like this, but there's sometimes those people, wherever you are, you know that when they call, they're always going to want something from you. And so sometimes you let that call go straight through to voicemail or Maybe you see them out in public, right? And you're, and you're kind of going around, you're like, oh, look, there's old so-and-so. And if they're here, don't point them out, okay? <laughs> Just keep that to yourself. But you know that feeling that I get. The grocery store is one of those classic ones because you're driving along with your cart and then you see, and then you turn, right? And you go, I hope, I hope they don't see me. Maybe I can get through this without them noticing me again. And sometimes I think maybe even unknowingly, many of us can treat God in that same way. We want to be close enough to God to get all the good stuff, right? I want his blessings, and I want the promise of heaven, and I I want him to take care of me, but I don't necessarily want to be so surrendered to God that he has total access to every area of my life, Because, because if I'm completely surrendered to him, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what he's going to ask me to do? We all know somehow in the back of our minds that God is just itching. If we give him permission, he's itching to send us all to Africa, right? And that's sort of the fear that we have in North America is, oh no, maybe he's going to ask me to go to Africa. Maybe he's going to make me do something that I won't enjoy. Maybe he's going to make me stop doing something that I enjoy. Maybe he's going to make me marry somebody ugly. Okay, maybe that was too far. Maybe that was a crossing line. I don't know. But if you've ever thought about those kinds of things, and I'm worried about what God's going to do, that somehow his goal is to make misery on the other side. That's sort of what he wants. There's that sense of fear. What if I give it all to God? What if I actually surrender? What if life doesn't go the way I want it to go? What then? And that fear 
That fear can overwhelm us and, and, and overtake us, and it becomes what we think about kind of all the time. For example, there's a lot of people who would say, fear is the absence of faith. Have you heard that before? Fear is the absence of faith. And I'm going to argue today that I think fear is actually faith. It's just faith in the wrong things. You could say your fear, and when you fear, you're placing your faith in the what-ifs. You know, you have these thoughts, they come up, and it's like, well, what if the economy falls apart? What if I lose my job? What if someone I love gets cancer? What if I never ever get married? What if I marry a jerk? What if I marry a jerk and then have a kid that looks like the jerk? So for the rest of my life, I'm reminded that I married a jerk. And the fears go on and on. What if? And we're very creative. What if? What about? It's happened before. What if? And we have that kind of faith in the worst case scenario. And it seems to make sense. Because if you're looking to the future, the future that you imagine is always devoid of God. There is no intervention from God in the future that you imagine. You know that he was involved in your past. You've seen him involved in your present. But when you imagine the future, it just drops off a cliff. And it only goes down. It's only bad. Faith in the worst case scenario. And it's hard. It's hard not to be overtaken by fear in, 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 an, in, in an irrational way. So maybe you play some of these mind games. Um, you'll be waiting for someone. Maybe it's a him. Maybe it's a her. Uh, and you're looking at your watch. And you say, okay. Ten minutes late. Hmm. And you pace. It's now 12 minutes late. And then you start to give in to this fear. And it grows. It, it, it's not fully blown, but you let it build up in your mind. Well, maybe something's happened to her. I'm, I wonder if maybe he met up with a friend. I wonder if maybe he met up with a new friend. Oh my gosh, she's been in a car accident. Oh my gosh, it's not, just a, it's not just a car accident, it's a multi-vehicle wreck, and now she's dead. Oh my goodness, now what am I going to do? My life is over, and then the panic rolls in, and it just grows and spirals, right? I'm not sure if we ever finish that funeral service. I'm going to have to speak at the funeral. I'm going to have to do that, and that stinks because I'm already busy enough already. And down the trail we go. It grows and grows, and I'm going to have to change my job because I can't go on like nothing happened. Now what am I going to do? I can't stay in this job. This job market's so hard. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to have to sell my house. I'm going to have to move all over 10 or 12 minutes of tardiness. Anybody here ever do stuff like that? Yeah, me neither. It happens, right? It just sort of comes up and we, what if this and what if that? And I bet this is what's going on. What other explanation could there be? But here's some good news. Second Timothy, Paul writes to his, his protege, the guy that he is uh, trying to pastor himself, to, to grow him up so that Timothy can be a pastor in one of the churches that Paul has already started. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Today we're going to look at the fear 
of what God is asking us to do. So why is it that we are often afraid of God's plan? Now, let's be honest. There there are all kinds of reasons for this, and we're not going to cover all kinds of reasons. We're only going to do two, two that sort of come from the story that we're going to look at based on this Mary meeting an angel. The first one, God's interruptions are often inconvenient, aren't they? When God interrupts us, his interruptions seem to come at a really bad time. And you want to say, God, are you sure this is the best time? Right now, God? Really? Do you not see what I already have going on? Right. You see everything. Okay, so knowing everything, knowing what my calendar looks like, is this really the best time that you could pick for me right now? We get that feeling that somehow our plan is the one that's in motion. That's the one that we need to be following. And the story of Mary, we can look at it in Luke chapter 1. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can use your handout. You can use your online Bible, however you want to get there. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, right there. Uh, we were talking about Mary. Why is Elizabeth there? And why do they mention that she's pregnant? I thought we were talking about birth. And Elizabeth is Mary's relative. But she was too old to give birth. And then an angel appeared to her. And now she's miraculously pregnant with the baby who becomes the boy, who becomes the man, who becomes known as John the Baptist. Now an angel comes to Mary, and Luke continues. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. That's the north country. That's the outback of Israel. So let's talk about this. And you have an angel appears. And I think sometimes in our world today, when when people think of angels, you pull up pictures that you've seen from somewhere. And I don't think that our pictures are terribly accurate as to the way angels really are. And I think that many people would imagine pudgy, bald, naked, baby Cupid playing a harp on a cloud. That's what sort of floats down to talk to people, right? But that's not what these angels look like at all. These are powerful fierce, imposing creatures, and they're able to strike down a nation at God's command, and yet submissive enough to God to go to protect and care for an innocent child. And so this angel is one of the two that's actually named in the Bible. There's Gabriel, and then there's Michael the archangel. And we see Gabriel in this story, and he appears to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel, the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. He's a very polite guy. He's well-spoken, well-mannered. The Lord is with you. Now, is she excited and like, Oh, amazing, I've always wanted to see an angel. What a great day. No, she's freaking out, okay? Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. That translates to, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's going on here? What did he just say? What does that mean? Is there anyone else around? Can I check with somebody else about this? Is anybody seeing what I'm seeing? Now the background of this story, why is it a big deal to her? Start thinking about what's going on in her mind and in in her life. We don't know her age exactly, But chances are she's probably about 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. 
Anyone here, 14, 15, 16? Anyone? Yeah, okay, up in the balcony. You can't see her. Uh, are you ready to marry a man that your dad just picked out for you? Yeah, totally ready for that, right? There's a reason that she's upset and nervous because in her culture, once a girl would hit puberty, shortly after that, she would be promised or, or betrothed to be married. And so if you get this inside this young girl's mind, she's probably all amped up about what's about to come. It's a significant life change. It's something that she's been anticipating and being trained for, prepared for, groomed for her entire life. And so if it's modern day, we go to this bride, what's she going to be doing? Well, she's probably searching on Pinterest, right? She's looking for all the great creative ideas to make her wedding day that special, unforgettable moment. She's practicing signing her name, and if she's going to change her name, she's practicing the signature for her new checks, new last name. What does that look like? She's writing down or thinking about the names of potential children, maybe her future children that she's thinking about. She's like, I like Chloe, and I like Jasmine, and I like Raul. So she's got the names picked, and she's planning this. But before she can finish pinning that board, before she can finish all those ideas, the angel just bursts in and interrupts all of her plans. He just appears. There's no warning. He just bursts on the scene, and it's incredibly inconvenient to the way that she had her future mapped out. So what can we learn from this? What we call interruptions, God often sees as invitations, right? We, we, we've been trying to talk about interruptions as opportunities. We've said this a number of times, and we, we use it in our pivotal um, circumstances language and in our providential relationships ideas. Those are both um, part of our faith catalysts that we tell you, how does faith grow? How can you grow faith? Those are things, and we've, we've been talking about that. Those times we feel like, wow, I'm totally being interrupted by God. He's interfering in what I had planned. God is often, in, often inviting us into partnership with him on something higher, something better, or something more than it was that we had planned. So you can think about this through Scripture. It comes up again and again. What did God do with Moses? He interrupted a regular day with a burning bush and invited Moses to become the deliverer of God's people. What about Jonah? God interrupted Jonah's workout. He was having a good swim from the middle of the ocean to the shore, and there's this great big fish that comes up to grab him and invited him to go back and do what he was supposed to do by preaching repentance to the people of Nineveh. In the New Testament, you've got a guy named Saul. He is busy and on a mission killing Christians. He's got to get a whole bunch of these done before dinner. And God interrupts his flow with a bright light from heaven and invited Saul to become the author of a good part of the New Testament and an apostle to anyone who would listen to him about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. God interrupted their plans with an invitation to something better. Now, I believe there are many of us who often shake off God's invitations, and we call them simply interruptions. And God is waiting to do something new and something different in our lives. And I don't know what it's going to play out for you. I don't know. It's not going to be the same for everyone. It's going to be different. But if you'll be sensitive enough, sensitive enough to listen for those interruptions and see them as possible invitations, God might just take you somewhere new somewhere that you didn't expect to go, somewhere different, to do something 
that you could have never predicted on your own. And it could play out in any number of ways. And there are those of you here today, you've got your own interruption slash invitation stories. Some of you, you weren't churchgoers, right? You weren't religious at all, didn't want to have anything to do with it. And someone interrupted your plans and invited you to church. And they kept begging you to come, begging you to come. And you're like, no, thanks, don't have time. No, thanks, not interested. No, okay, finally, okay, I'll go. And you surrender and you go with them. You're thinking, they promised me lunch afterwards. I can do that. And so you go to church and you think, okay, I'll just endure it. Lunch is on the other side. We'll get in, we'll get out. Nothing's going to happen. But then something happened. And you were touched by a song or, or, or someone said something or, or maybe the message. And it was like, God is speaking directly to me. And your heart started to soften. And suddenly you found yourself being drawn to God. And one day you cried out and you asked for forgiveness. And you sensed the supernatural presence of God and something in you, something in you was dramatically changed and different and new. And you don't have words to say it clearly. You can't explain it to someone who hasn't ever experienced it. And when you, what you thought was an interruption was an invitation to something new, something way, way way better. And now it continues to happen. Your friend is in the hospital, and, and you're feeling an urge to go and see your friend. But you go, I don't have time. Seriously, look, I don't have time. To, God, why do you keep pushing this on me? I don't have time. Okay, I'll go. And there's that unmistakable urge. It just won't go away. This is something that I am called to. And so you take the interruption you make it an opportunity and you go. But you didn't realize even when you were there that it was an invitation for God to use you to minister to somebody else, to help somebody else in a way that you didn't think you could. And then suddenly you're speaking and, and, and there's words coming out of your mouth and you're going, how did I know that? Or why did I say that? I don't normally say that. And you realize that somehow you're ministering to them and God is using you to do this and then you walk away and you say, I can't believe God just used me to do that. That was actually significant. And you're on kind of a spiritual high because you realize that in your partnership, God just used you to do something significant. And your day was busy, but it wasn't really filled with significant. And what happened? God interrupted you. And somewhere along the way, he invited you to something better. And you can get those divine invitations if you won't be in the habit of just shaking them off as interruptions. So an angel of the Lord appears to this girl who has her life planned out. She knows what's supposed to happen and says, I got something different for you. And the angel in verse 30 says, and well, if you're in the King James again, it would say, fear not. But in the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. What did Mary do to earn that favor? No thing. Nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but if God has favor to give out, I want a little bit of that action. 
I want some favor. I want some of God's favor. Is there anyone here who's interested in receiving some of God's favor? I mean, doesn't that sound like a good thing to get? Now, we're going to find out that the favor isn't exactly what she thought it was going to be. And I'm thinking, so if I marry, God's going to give me favor. All right, I just got a spot on a wedding reality show. And my wedding is paid for, and maybe my honeymoon too. Here I come. I'm going to be on TV. I'm on. Say yes to the dress. That's what maybe she's thinking. I'm excited. That means good things for me, right? It means I'm going to get stuff because that's the way we think blessing looks. But what she doesn't realize is that the angel on behalf of God has something very different for her. So why are we afraid of God's plans? Number one, because his, in, his interruptions often feel inconvenient. And number two, because God's purpose is often quite different than your plans. His purpose for us is often so different than what we had planned out for ourselves that it makes us nervous. I mean, obviously, I had the best plan, so how could God know more than me? And we see this, the story, as it goes on. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. His name is going to be Jesus. He will be the Savior of the world. And you can only imagine this teenage girl as her emotions swing back and forth as God interrupts her with an invitation that disturbs her plan and reveals God's purpose. There must have been a moment where she's just blown away, stupefied with humility. Oh my gosh, I've been chosen for this? I've been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God? And then, boom, her emotions swing the other way. Oh my gosh, what are people going to say about me? What are they going to do to me? Because to be pregnant before the wedding ceremony is completed, ancient Israel, oh boy, you don't want that. That's a sin punishable by death from stoning. So one moment, it's honor, humility, oh my goodness. And then, oh my gosh, it's fear. What's going to happen? I've been chosen for what? What's He's, I'm gonna, I've been chosen. Oh my goodness, I've got to tell Joseph. What do you think that conversation is going to be like? Hey, Joey, are you sitting down? Something happened today. Long story short, I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost. And you could just imagine what that conversation is like because it's not like in Bible times this happened all the times either, right? Joseph's, well, we'll talk about Joseph next week. God's purpose was way, way, way different than her plan. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's purposes are higher than our purposes. So his plans are higher than our plans. So his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I don't know how this will play out in your life. Again, it will be different for everyone. But when God interrupts you with an invitation to something else, you're going to discover that his purposes are way different than your plans. He sees farther than you see, and he sees more intimately than you see. And it may be that you've dreamed of that perfect, healthy, 
family. And then you find out you're getting a child who's going to be born with special needs. And it rocks your world. And you say something like, but why us? Why us and not them? What did we do? And you have no idea the blessing that that child is going to be. And and this is going to bring you closer to God and it's going to well up more love in you, in your heart, than you've ever dreamed was possible because his purposes may be different than your plan. You may lose a job one day and be like, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing ever. God, you can't be in on this. Where are you? Where are you in the midst of what I'm going through? How am I going to pay the bills? And then suddenly you've got no other option. But you start that business. Or maybe you plant a church. That you always kind of had in the back of your head. And years later you look back. And you say, wow. What I thought was a curse was actually a blessing. I would never have chosen that on my own. But God's purpose was so much different than my plans. And I don't know how many times I've talked to people who would say, I thought I was going to marry this person. They were perfect. Then the relationship went south. And then they think, I'll never, ever have a good marriage. I mean, who, who could ever be like this person? And they had no idea that God was at work preparing another person that was indescribably better suited to minister together with them than they could possibly imagine at that time. God's purposes are so different than our plans. So uh, a year or two ago, (laughs) I was getting ready to go to Bible school for the first time, my first year, and I needed to get some additional appropriate clothing. And the, the Bible boy needed to get his churchy costume. So we had to go out shopping to get something churchy for me. Uh, we looked around and I found this really nice, clean white shirt with some cool embroidery on the pocket. And I thought, I like that one. I like that. That looks good to me. And it was $35. And that seemed to me at that time like tons of money. And so I was hemming and hawing and I'm wrestling whether or not it could be worth it. You know, I liked it, but did I like it? that much? And I looked around the store, and there was nothing else there that I really liked at all, and certainly not as much as I like this. And so, it's a shirt. Look at the shirt. It's going to make me look good. It might even make me look a little bit holy. So, I counted my money, and I gulped when I saw how much of it the shirt would actually take. I've always been told you can only spend it once, so be sure. And I made my decision. And I went to the the cash desk, and they scanned it. And it scanned in at $6.99. It was one of those moments that just felt like God was saying, off you go to Bible school, Graham. I'm with you. Some of us get sticker shock with what we think it's going to cost us to pursue God. We feel like because I don't know the future, that the future is going to be costly to us. We feel like we're probably going to lose out on something. What about what I won't have? Go forward. Let God surprise you and provide for you. Don't get caught with $35 in your pocket and no shirt in your hand. 
It's through going forward that we see God surprise us by opening doors before us. If you're a part of Into One or you're interested in being a part of Into One, you have got to know that our DNA has God opening doors before us. That has been our story from the very beginning. Time and time again, doors that we didn't know were doors opened. Doors that we didn't ask for opened for us. God has worked on our behalf. We have experienced his favor again and again. Sometimes you just have to trust him that he has something better. God has plans to bless you, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. He will now and then move through what you might call an interruption. But from his perspective, it's an invitation to something higher, something different, because his purposes are different than your plan. Okay, back in verse 34. But how can this happen? This is Mary. I'm supposed to give birth and I'm a virgin. How can this happen? What you're describing, Gabriel, while interesting, is totally impossible. It's beyond impossible. It's after impossible. It's absurd. It is physically impossible for what you say to happen. There is no way, Gabriel, tell God there's no way that this can happen. Do you know what that's like? That's like an angel appearing to me and saying, Graham, you're going to be the on-ice leader for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you're going to lead them to the Stanley Cup next year. (laughs) I'd like it to be true. I wish it were true. I've dreamed about it being true. But what does Vincini say from the Princess Bride? inconceivable, right? Can't happen. It's not going to happen. And that's what Mary's doing right here. She says, Gabriel, I went to health class. I know how this works. I'm a virgin and virgins don't give birth to babies. It's totally and completely impossible. And there will be a time, I promise you, for all you who are followers of Christ, that God is going to interrupt you with an invitation to something different. And his purpose is going to be different than your plan. And you're going to have to have faith and believe him. But you're going to look at it and you're going to say, I don't see how that's possible. I don't see it, God. I don't see how you can possibly ask me and expect that it's going to happen, that I will begin to be able to forgive someone. Do you know what they've done to me? It's impossible that I can forgive. God, I don't know what you're thinking. I know that you're asking me to trust you, but how can you ask me to trust you and be generous when I have so little right now? And I'm supposed to just trust you that somehow you're going to provide for me, that somehow you're going to make it okay, that somehow you will show up. I'm supposed to just trust you with that. You're going to take care of me. I don't know how that's possible. God, I don't believe how you could ever heal my marriage. After what happened, there is no way that we could ever have a good marriage again. It's impossible. God, how in the world am I supposed to reconcile this relationship with one of my children? After what they said? After what I did? It's broken. 
It's gone forever. There is no undoing. God, there's no way that you can heal this person that I love. I mean, the doctor said you might as well prepare for the end. It's totally and completely impossible. And that's what we see with Mary. When she says, it's impossible, there is no way. We go down to verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, this isn't a job just for people, okay? This is a God-sized job. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, for how much is impossible? Say this part with me. Next verse. How much is impossible? For nothing is impossible. Say it again. For nothing is impossible. Not by yourself, but with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So when the daylight shortens and and daylight is gone and begins to feel dreary, when opposition mounts and begins to overwhelm, when the list of hard things seems to grow daily, when the pressures of work and home multiply together to be too much, you need to know that nothing is impossible with God. You need to know that what may be impossible with man is entirely, absolutely, and completely possible with God. We serve a God who is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. With one spoken word, he can intervene in any situation. Our God is that good, and our God has that kind of power. There's that kind of possibility with our God. So Mary says, I see no way. What you describe, Gabriel, it couldn't ever happen. And the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe for all of you who are followers of Christ, again, there's going to come a time when something interrupts you and you think, ah, I don't like that. You may have your divine antenna up trying to pick it up and you say, is this an invitation from God for purposes that are other than my plans? And God may ask you to believe something that seems unbelievable or to attempt something that seems like you could never accomplish. And the truth is, on your own, you couldn't because without faith, It is impossible to please God. And so I want to ask you now, very, very simply, what is is God asking you to do or to believe? What is it that God is asking you to do or to believe? If you're a follower of Christ, I believe with all my heart that our God is a speaking God and he's involved in your life and he wants to direct you and he loves you and he wants to shape you and to lead you and to guide you. What is he asking you to do? For some of you, the answer is immediate. You already know. You already know because you've been resisting. Others of you, it may take a few moments. It may take a couple of days. It might even take some weeks. God, what do you have next? What are you directing me to in this season? For some of you, it's going to come upon you. I'm supposed to start a ministry God's put this in my heart. It's what I need to do. For some of you, it's I need to restore a relationship that's gone bad. He's he's going to direct you in that kind of way because we are agents of reconciliation. So go out and reconcile. Some of you, he's going to ask you, go back to college or take a step of faith, change your major, change your job, do something different. 
For some of you, it may be to reach out to someone who's far from God and you think, but I've already tried and there's just no way. They're just going to resist me again. What is God asking you to do or believe? It won't be the same as the person beside you. And then when you get ready to respond, never forget this. If God is asking you to take the step of faith, this is key. This is so important and can send you into a place of freedom that you've never been before. If you don't know this, write this down. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. There is such security in that. Outcome is always and only God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. What's going to happen? Well, how are we going to? I don't see how it's going to work. Where will this be? Outcome. That is God's corner. He's got it covered. Outcome is his responsibility. All you're called to do is take the step of faith and obey. Tell yourself again and again, outcome is with God. You don't perform for him. You don't earn his favor. You don't convince him of your worth. Obedience is your response. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. We can't predict the outcome. You never even can imagine the complexity of God's plans for you. All we can do is be obedient with the next step because you don't know how he's working in the world around you, how he's bringing things together around you. Obedience is ours, outcome is God's. So we come back to where we started in that sense. We trust God. We simply surrender yourself to him. Trust him. Trust him just like a teenage virgin girl did 2,000 years ago when in God's goodness, and sovereign plan, he interrupted her with an invitation to partnership in a higher calling. His purpose was different than her plans. And in her mind, she couldn't conceive how it was possible. But she had to remember that all things are possible with God. The angel put this opportunity in front of her, just as I believe God is going to put opportunities for something greater in front of you. And how did she respond? Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant. Before she says anything else, she reminds herself who she is and whose she is. I belong to the King of Kings. He's my Lord. I am called to serve him. Even though I don't understand right now and I can't figure it all out, I can't do the math on this and it will certainly cost me and it's probably going to be harder than I can ever imagine. I belong to him, and because I belong to him, I can trust him with the outcome. I will be obedient. And then she says one of the greatest faith-filled statements in all the Bible. May everything you have said about me come true. There was no detail in what the angel had told her. I'm all in. I trust you. I have no fear whatsoever about your plans because I am the Lord's servant. This is what I do. I serve God. I know my God. His plans are good and he is just and he is loving. He sees farther than I can see. And if he interrupts me with something that's inconvenient for me, then I want to surrender myself to what he wants. 
because his ways are higher than my ways. His purposes are higher than my plans. His thoughts are greater than I could ever imagine. And he loves me so deeply that the trust I have is that he will continue to care for me even when it seems risky. Therefore, I remember who I am. I am a servant of the Most High God. Therefore, may it be done unto me according to your word. May everything you have said about me come true. Because ultimately, outcome is yours, God. Obedience is mine. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that the power of your spirit would help us to be obedient to what you call us to do. God, we will commit to pray and then obey. As you lead me, I will listen. I will trust. I will obey. I will take the step. Just one for today. That's all I have to do for today. One step. Guide me forward to where you are leading me. I trust you that where you're leading me is where I really want to go. Then as we receive direction from you, I'm going to take that next step. Whatever the next one is, I will take the next step as well, God. I'm going to trust you for that one also. God, I'm ready to be interrupted by you so that I might continue to live and work in partnership with you to be a part of making this world the beautiful place that you've said it can be. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Use me to bring that about, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ in front of you. Christ behind you. Christ above you and Christ below you. Christ to your left and Christ to your right. Christ in your present. Christ in your future. May the Spirit of Christ be on and with you. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. We're going to keep saying that it's better when we're together. Because I believe that's the way God designed us to work. That's the message, that's the story, that's the, the ethos of Into One. That we are coming together into one with each other and with God. And that he draws himself all over us as we do that. So as you go today, I want to remind you that you're not just leaving. I'm going to send you away. I'm going to send you out. And as you go, I want you to remember that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And the mission that we're on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Go take the church where it needs to be. Go meet with someone and be a reflection of Jesus to them. Take the hope, the peace, the joy, the love. Take Christ with you as you go.